Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ab Life Podcast. This is about empowering you to live a beautiful life. And oftentimes, that is something that can be achieved by just shaping your mind, shaping your body, and putting it in the position to receive and to see beauty. It is my mission to empower you with the practices and the perspectives to make that happen, to live a happier, healthier, and more meaningful life. Thank you for tuning in to you. Today, I'm going to be doing a fun and fancy little Q&A session. And I fielded the question on my Instagram earlier this week, asking you all what you wanted to know. What are your inquiries, your curiosities about all things fitness, wellness, personal development, And I got a nice little potpourri of questions. So without further ado, let's dive in. So our first question comes from Louisa. And Louisa asks, When you punish yourself for falling off the wagon, for going out and eating something bad or drinking, then you go to the gym the next day, you have to go 10 times harder or you have to starve yourself to do or do some sort of cleanse or detox she says i always find that i'm all in or i'm really bad and then it's some sort of punishment for myself that has to happen so my initial reaction to this because i was visualizing this this phrase falling off the wagon (laughs) and i was wondering what is the etymology of that phrase That's where my mind always goes. And so I was imagining this wagon. I was imagining her, though I've never met her, falling off the wagon. And my initial response was, you need a bigger wagon. You need to invest in a bigger wagon. You need to lengthen the seat. You need more cushioning. And this fits perfectly into my answer. Okay, you need to create space for yourself to slide a little left, to slide a little right, right? So you have wiggle room that is not going off of the wagon but it is part of the wagon and this is my approach this is what I really encourage people to adopt when they're looking at food and exercise in their body is it's not a 100% perfect all the time approach it is more of an 80 20 or 70 30 or whatever numbers you want to put on it that feel good to you where the 30% is not the bad 70% good but it is 70% of the times, time I eat these foods because these foods make me thrive the most, make me feel the most alive and help me function at the level that I need to function at. And these foods that I eat 30% of the time or allow the space, it's really crucial, just allowing the space to eat 30% of the time kind of, you know, throw me off a little bit or create some inflammation or create a fogginess in my head or kind of slow down my my uh, my progress at the gym or just the way that I am able to do my reps and put out my effort at the gym okay so there's two key things here one is just basically throwing out no longer using the words good or bad or a value judgment on foods and putting them into these um, these binary categories it is simply looking at food as um, and looking at your relationship with food as 
this feedback process, uh, no pun intended, where when you put certain food into your body, you, you know how you respond and you know that this one is going to make you thrive and this one might not make you thrive as much. And so I would say to trend towards the foods that help you thrive that you know from your own experimentation are in the thrive category um, about 70% of the time is what you want your aim to be. And this way you have a full circle or a full pie if we're looking at it as a pie chart that if you look at the entire pie chart, that is just food I eat. And then the 70% is foods that make me feel good to great. And the other 30% is foods that don't make me feel great, you could say, right? So rather than it being, there is something wrong with me <laughs> if I go outside of the 70%, because that, that's, the, that's the slippery slope and the danger of putting things into a good and bad category. It is just tracking, just noticing, oh, okay, I ate something that didn't make me feel great, okay? Um, and why this is so, so, so important is because this can nip in the bud the psychology that can lead to that binge purge kind of relationship to exercise and to food. Because if you do the bad thing, you feel like you have to do the good thing to make up for it or compensate. But if you're just doing the thing and it is neither good or bad, it is much easier just to go back on track. It's like, oh, I got a little bit, I did something that wasn't awesome for my body and I like feeling awesome. So I'm gonna do something awesome next. But rather than trying to make up for something and always be at like a balance of zero and a starting point is an exhausting process that I want none of you to experience. Um, and so that would be my advice is first take out the, the binary and the value judgment. And then secondly, is really just to is really just to give yourself the permission to to be in that 30%, to be in that 20%, whatever works for you, because everyone is going to burn out um, from a workout program or a quote unquote diet that asks them to be a perfect uh, a perfect a person, because if you're taking it as a, a reflection of who you are inside, that is beyond what it means. Um, but B, to say that you have acted imperfectly can be a very um, damaging uh, sort of way of talking to yourself. Like, I did something wrong. You did not do something wrong if you ate a cookie. You did not do something wrong if you eat potato chips. In fact, I will, I'll say something controversial here. Those foods might go and these foods make me thrive in that 70% because maybe that's what you need to stay on track. So just opening up our mindsets and really looking at food from a from both a scientific and an artful standpoint. The science of it is you're collecting data every time you eat by noticing what makes you feel good, what makes you feel not so good. And then the artful category is playing around with it a little bit. Like I know if I eat this cookie, 
um, you know, three times a week, I'm more likely to stay on my diet. And over the long run, I would say that's a great strategy, but also don't look at it as a strategy only and not let yourself enjoy it. Let yourself enjoy the entire pie, the entire pie chart. (laughs) So Louisa, I hope that that is helpful for you. And please let me know if you have any further questions. We are going to go into our second question, which comes from Hannah. Hannah in Denver, Colorado. So Hannah asks, hi, Abby, can you please talk about conquering fitness and wellness fears? Cool. I like to geek out on fear. Anyone else out there? Where's my tribe? I think that since there's no specific question answered here, um, I am going to talk about, let's do three of the more common fears that I hear from people and that maybe I've even experienced myself when embarking on a fitness or wellness journey. Okay. So like the setting and the goals are important variables, but in general, when you are making a change where you want to increase your fitness, where you want to protect and bolster your longevity and where you want to, you know, increase your mental health and all of those things by building a lifestyle of healthy habits. There, there's a couple, there's a couple of really strong and common fears that come up. So one of them is basically departing what it feels like is a is a a losing or a loss of the person who you once were. So even though you want to make this great change, it's quite scary because you have come to know yourself as a particular person. So you have come to become comfortable with the thoughts inside of your head, even if they are no longer serving you. You have come to become comfortable with the body that you are in, whatever weight, whatever shape that that is, even the cadence of breath that you are experiencing, all of those things have become your your comfort zone. And regardless of whether they are serving you or not, they have become your comfort zone and we all find a sense of home in our comfort zone so it's kind of like you're leaving home so there's a lot of fear in that it's like you're taking this odyssey away from home and that's quite scary so i'm just going to define the fears first this is number one number two is anytime that someone's making a change or starting a new goal there's this fear of what if i fail okay i don't need to say like a lot about that but what if i fail and then we can go deeper into challenging. I like to challenge what, is it, what does failure mean? And what is the worst thing that could happen? Okay. Um, and then number three is the fear of on the opposing side. This is, uh, I'm going to put a little spin on this one for anyone who's not relating as much to the first two, is the fear of becoming too good or too healthy um, or too fit, all right? So everyone has different struggles 
and balance like challenges for how they can strike the right balance for them. And so this might annoy those people who are thinking who the hell experiences that, but there are a lot of people who do experience that. And I was one of those people. So I would like to include that in the uh, bucket of answers here. So, okay. So I'm not just going to name the fears for you. I'll give you a way through. Let me talk about how my relationship to fear. Um, maybe some of you have heard of something called exposure therapy. So exposure therapy is all about basically putting yourself in the environment and with the stimuli that you are afraid of um, bit by bit by bit. So if you look at it on a scale of zero to 100, you would first start to expose yourself 10% and then sit with the sensations that come up there and then 20%, 30%. And then you keep scaling upwards on that gradient until you have 100% face the fear. Okay. Um, just like I would not have you lift 200 pounds on your back for a back squat the first time that you do it um really getting it's like because you're getting into a new comfort zone which you at some point your body kind of tagged as unsafe or dangerous in some way those those um those ideas can come along with the things that we're afraid of you said this is unsafe or this is dangerous in some way and so you're reteaching yourself that you are safe and you can be successful and even grow from putting yourself in that environment. So you're, re, you're redefining it by exposing yourself to, uh, to it and showing that you can succeed in that very environment or when facing that very fear. So this is something that is kind of foundational to the way that I relate to fear and how I integrate that into my coaching with other individuals. And so as I answer each of these questions, you'll see how this exposure therapy um, is embedded. So number one, uh, we're going to talk about that fear of losing oneself. So first, I want to say that psychologically, even spiritually, this is, this is real. You are losing a previous version of yourself. Um, you are changing the shape that you present to the world and the shape that you are inhabiting. You are changing the chemistry of your body. You're changing the neurochemistry of your body. You're changing your thought patterns. You're basically creating a new home in which you live in. And um, so I think with this one, it's a acknowledging the fear. The fear is very real. Um, but then you must weigh, and this will come into part, uh, part two, you must weigh the fear of staying at that home versus the cost of not leaving home or not creating a new home, I should say. Um, so you can think about um, books like The Prophet is really coming to my mind. Um, and I'll link it into the show notes if you haven't read it. One of the most impactful books that I've ever read. Highly recommend. Um, it is all about this young man's like sweet serenade and poem to his community when he's leaving. And he's telling them how much he appreciates them. 
and also emphasizing and clarifying how necessary it is for him to go off because that's where his soul is being called and that is what will ensure his continued evolution so to the fear i would i actually encourage you to speak to that fear if you are facing that fear and to tell it to tell that previous home which you are departing from i love you i appreciate you you have provided so much comfort and sustenance for me but in order to continue my very necessary evolution of myself i must embark on a journey to a new home and in this process you're going to be creating pretty much a new identity because you are going from a person who didn't work out didn't eat healthy we'll just use those examples um didn't support herself with loving self-talk and accepting self-talk and compassionate self-talk to someone who does all those things so you are like greatly changing your identity you consider this a renovation of your home or leaving your home but either way there is some kind of a grief and a loss so i would talk to that fear but also put more importance put more focus on your evolution because that is the most important thing and for our second fear we have the fear of failing. So for this one, I'm going to recommend an exercise that I picked up from Tim Ferriss that is called, it's actually called fear setting. So in this exercise, you are asked to weigh the, weigh the fears of action or the, um, the repercussions really of action against the costs of inaction. So in this case, when you are kind of looking at that gap between who you are and who you want to become on your fitness and wellness journey. Um, I would do this exercise. I'm just going to show you or explain to you two parts of it. So towards the end, you're going to write down the worst or the very beginning. I'm sorry. The very first thing that you are going to write down is the very worst things that could happen if you if you make that decision. So basically, if you commit to becoming a healthier and fitter person, what are the very worst things that could happen? And you let your irrational mind uh, run with this one, right? So like, I will die can go on there because that's how afraid you might be, all right? And after that, you're gonna write down all of the ways that you could repair those things if they did happen. Now, obviously, with that example I used, what you realize as you start to go through it is that some of these things can't be repaired, but it also reminds you how crazy unlikely they are to happen. Um, And so it adds some humor and some sensibility to your process of working through that fear because you're like, I couldn't do anything to prevent that, but I couldn't do anything to prevent myself from dying with something that's not causing me harm or danger anywhere anytime so this isn't even related but I'm just really afraid basically and then after you go through the ways you could repair you go through the benefits starts to get a little bit brighter and then you're going to look at the cost of inaction so you're going to compare the cost of inaction to all those fears all those benefits right so Some of those benefits that you might have written down include that 
you will have a healthier heart. You will have a clearer, more focused mind. You will have more energy to bring into your day. You will be a happier person um, around your friends and maybe romantic partner or um, even your coworkers. And then you go into the cost of inaction. And let's say we look at, on, on this exercise, he does three, six, and then 12 months. So if you don't take any action in that amount of time, in the, all those amounts of, of time, what you realize is nothing is going to change, essentially. So this is another one that really hammers home the emotion that is underneath the fear of basically... basically letting you know that you should be more afraid of not taking action than taking the action. (laughs) So to just, it kind of flips the whole thing for you and gives you a little mind fuck and says, I got to take action ASAP. That's how you do number two. Number three is the fear of getting uh, too good, getting too fit, getting too healthy. So in my own story, when I was younger, Um, I had encounters with anorexia nervosa um, on three different occasions. And I don't fear anymore going into that um, pattern of behavior because I've picked up so so many tools um, and opened myself up to support of people around me over the years that I'm not the same person as I was then. So I don't fear interacting with the same, same things that I once saw as a threat. So maybe as I was recovering from that I would see the the same things that brought me tons of joy and that I was super passionate about like playing basketball and running um no longer as a threat but as um, a resource for me it was just the way I was interacting with it so if anyone who's tuning in has experienced on any spectrum disordered eating uh disordered relationship to eating or exercise um this definitely Uh, I hope that this definitely resonates with you or can even put things in a new perspective for you that is helpful um, is that it's kind of the opposite of the second fear, which was what if I fail? It's what if I succeed so much that it, that I hurt myself? (laughs) Like what if I am too successful? And I would say that the same kind of fear setting exercise could be extremely helpful for you because you realize that the cost of inaction is that you will stay uh, stay the same. So let's say you are someone who has recovered from disordered eating and a disordered relationship to exercise. Maybe it was excessive exercise or whatever, like binge purge, whatever it was. But you know that you need to, to bring that stimulus back into your life and that activity back into your life. The cost of inaction is that you know, your soul is dry, your soul is dead. And again, your soul's evolution is like the number one thing, always. So that's going to outweigh everything. So I would say you can't, can't be afraid to go back into that zone, even if it feels like it's a cave, if it's going to bring you joy. And you can build better skills, better tools, and a better community around you so that you can create a healthier relationship to it. But the, but the solution is not avoiding the thing that gives you joy. All right. So that is my answer for Hannah's question. Hannah, thank you for sending that in. I hope it was helpful. And please let me know if you have any follow-up questions. So I'm going to do one more for today. And 
this one question. Our third question comes from Taylor in New York City. And she says, how do I build more confidence in the weight room? I feel really self-conscious every time I step in it to train myself. She says, embarrassing myself or not embarrassing myself, I'm sorry, takes precedence over the workout I'd like to do. So great question, Taylor. First of all, you are not alone. Uh, this is one of the great barriers that I help people work through when they are first beginning the strength training program. And really, I would say, and so I'm going to make this more generalized type of advice, that it's not so much just the weight room, although that can carry a, a certain culture and a certain um, populace, but it is anywhere where you are going to train because I think that self-consciousness could, could kind of... Uh, crop up if I was training you outdoors or if you were going to do your workout outdoors. So it's about how do we build confidence wherever we go at any time, really, when we're beginning a new skill set. Okay. And then I will definitely add that there is a cultural um, stigma that we are still working through that men lift weights and women do cardio, something like that. Okay. I still think that there is some unevenness um, there. And so if you are focused on those things, if you believe those things, if the environment in which you grew up supported those, those kinds of beliefs um, and stereotypes, then it's completely understandable like that you would feel self-conscious going into the gym. Also, it's completely understandable that you would feel self-conscious going into a place and trying to accomplish a goal without knowing what to do. This is a thing that I think like we have so many layers to work through. And if we are not empowered with the knowledge and the guidance, it just becomes that much harder. So I'm putting everything against you in this question and bringing you to a complete beginner's standpoint, which is like you would step into the gym. Okay. You're against a uh, cultural uh, gender stereotype. You are against um, a knowledge gap and you are starting a brand new like sport or activity. So everything is brand new. No, That's a lot to just face at once. So my tips when it comes to building confidence in the weight room and spanning outwards, um, I'm going to start with number one, which is not giving a fuck really it's not giving a fuck about what anyone else thinks this is a good thing to practice and this is a practice of detachment so you might be more um sensitive to it when you first start so let's say you walk into the weight room someone gives you a strange look but it really has nothing to do with you so i'll say not giving a fuck but really not giving a fuck and not taking anything personally i think that's a good rule of life is that if that person is looking at you, don't give any, any, any energy to what they might be thinking to that interaction whatsoever. You're just focused on doing your thing. Okay. And then number two goes right along with this. You're going to have so much more scattered energy and time to focus on what other people are thinking about you. If you don't really know what you're supposed to be doing. So if you haven't figured out your goals and you haven't figured out the strategies and exercises that it's going to require to get to those goals, 
then you are going to be much more likely to go into that anxious, self-conscious state, okay? So my number two would be to educate yourself or hire a coach, right? You want to plan. You want to go in with a plan, be a woman with a plan, going to the weight room, woman on a mission cannot be stopped, all right? Now, our number three for this question is I'm going to recommend a specific exercise because I would be remiss if I did not actually move you into action at least once in this episode. So my number three is going to be to do the power pose, which I am going to link into the show notes. And this is a pose that trains you to take up a lot of space, to get comfortable taking up a lot of space. Essentially, you spread your legs, you spread your arms, you lift your chest, your throat, your head. And I'm going to have you take some nice, deep breaths there. And you can even add in a mantra such as, I love taking up a lot of space, or I am in my power, or I love my body, something like that that makes you completely comfortable in your flesh and in the environment you are in taking up lots of space, okay? What this is going to do is it will increase your testosterone and decrease your cortisol, that worry, that cocktail that's going to perpetuate the self-consciousness so that you go into the weight room with confidence that you can do this literally before you go into the weight room you do it when you go into the weight room to set the tone whenever you do it it's going to very slowly start to teach your brain that you deserve to be where you are taking up a lot of space so taylor i hope that that is helpful advice for you um that combination of things worked for me it's worked for all of my clients so i am confident that it will work for you If you have any further questions on your own question, please do not hesitate to reach out. And uh, we're at about the 30-minute mark. I'm going to wrap it up for today. Just got my steps in while recording this podcast. Make sure that you do something active today. Just like all episodes, I'm going to leave you with a call to action, which is our journaling practice. So the question that I want you to ask yourself and to journal on tonight is... What is one way in which I am curious about exploring the potential of my body? So something that might come to mind is like, I'm curious what it feels like to sprint, or I'm curious what it feels like to lift weight overhead, or I'm curious to feel, to know what it feels like to sit and breathe for five minutes. Okay. So lead with curiosity into this question, not with external, uh, you know, necessity, something you feel like someone else wants you to do. I want you to lead with what you are curious about experiencing. That is the purest form of motivation. Thank you all for listening. This was a really fun format. I like these Q&As. I like riffing on all these topics. So I can't wait till we're doing the next one. Have a beautiful week ahead and sending peace and love your way.